Hello, welcome to the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. This is a safe space where mamas can talk openly about their highs and lows of motherhood and to look deeper into who they are as women and their journey into motherhood. We may agree and disagree or cry and laugh, but one thing for sure is we will learn from one another and have a great time. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. I have a very special guest that I'm so honored to bring on. All my guests are special, but this particular <laughs> one has a personal connection with me and her name is Martha Lerner, who is owner, founder, creator of Zen Mama Love. She's a doula as well as a birth photographer, which we will get into. So Martha, hello, good afternoon. Hi. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Before we go into how we know each other, actually, no, let's start with that first. Uh, you were my doula. I found you through Natural Birthworks. We had a connection there. You were amazing. And later on, we'll kind of get into your doula journey after we speak on this connection and talk about your motherhood journey first, because you are also a mom, you're a wife. But yeah, you are my doula. You are amazing. And I thank you for it. You fed me rice and beans. I tell everyone <laughs> that. Like, that was Awesome. Um, You were one of the first ones at my birth with my other midwife. Um, So do you want to speak anything about that? I guess that journey of how how we connected before we kind of go into your motherhood story? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, I meet different women on different parts of their journey when I become their doula. And I remember you and I met late in the game. Like usually I start working with people earlier, but you and I met late in the game. And we only really got to have one meeting, like one legit face-to-face before you went into labor, I think. I think it was just one. But it was one of those things where we just, our souls connected. And I remember I remember vividly, I remember your phone call the day you went into labor. I remember what you said. I remember you were saying, I think my dad's coming. I don't know what's going on. Or my dad's going something. Yes, yes. And, and I remember, it was a Friday rush hour. I remember thinking, oh shit, it's Friday rush hour. Um, and you lived a little bit away from me at the time. And um, I remember just getting there and just like, we were like, all right, we're going to, we got this. And we immediately both just clicked and had our purposes and you trusted me and I trusted you. And it just all came together. And that's, I love that. I love when there's like those, those relationships where you really just connect and there's just that trust and connection organic yeah organic connection immediately and i think i owe that to you again which when we talk about your doula journey i will speak more on that um because i think it is something you follow your purpose you know and i feel like it's something that is purposeful for you yeah but i know i owe you that because i think prior to having my son i was very not shut off or shut down but it took me a while to trust people very hesitant on certain things and having a doula i was a little like i understood what it was But I'm like, in my mind, like this woman's going to be a part of this. Is she really going to be as, you know, I'm just very unsure of the whole process. So I owe a lot of that to you because I don't think I was the most, at least not as you see me now, like the most free giving of information and of my vulnerability. A hundred percent. You were still in like corporate America power woman (laughs) mode when I met you. And there was a little bit of that, like, I don't know, but that, wow, like your, your growth. And and from that moment, it's like, it was just, you just blossomed. Again, I owe that to you of the show of your, of having the patience. And I don't want to say tolerance, but patience of dealing with that. Not that I was anything mean or anything, but I know there was a wall. And 
forcefully try. You didn't overstep any boundaries. Like it was very, again, just organic. And you're right. These kind of organic things that come from these powerful instances, like giving birth. Right. <laughs> because yeah. it is such a... It's like transformational. Correct. You know, yeah. that to have that. But I'm sure also, and I'm sure we'll talk about, you've had experiences where maybe you just still didn't have that connection. And maybe right. after giving birth, if you served your purpose and that was it. For sure. For sure. For sure. Yes. Which we'll talk about. So now that we've shared our little love story, <laughs> why don't you go into your um, motherhood journey and talk about the great little Felix. Oh my goodness. The great little Felix. My motherhood journey definitely was challenging. Um, I was a, what do they call it? Advanced maternal age when I got pregnant with Felix. I was 38 when I had him. And, and that was considered I, advanced maternal? Yeah, anything over 35, yeah. you're, high, you're high risk. That's when they want you to see a perinatologist and they want you to like, you know, have extra ultrasounds and whatever in the hospitals. Okay. So I had just come off of my first pregnancy, which ended up in a miscarriage. And that was devastating. We weren't really trying, but we weren't not trying. And when we got pregnant and that happened, I was shocked because my husband was always the one that was like, yeah, we'll have kids someday, 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 someday. But someday kept, you know, six years later, we're still someday. And it just happened. And I remember seeing him devastated, which was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, for all this time that he kept putting it off, he was really devastated when we lost the baby. So he was like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to try again. We're going to make this happen. So that was beautiful. And it kind of mm -hmm. solidified, you know, a lot of fears that I had, you know, it, it erased a lot of fears that I had yeah. around getting pregnant. Cause I was always scared that he was going to flip out, but he didn't, he was, it was a good thing. That you saw um, that this was something he wanted too. And yeah, he that he really deep down inside wanted it. He was just scared. He was just scared, you know, which is normal. So I remember even before my, my own motherhood journey, I remember that I was always fascinated by pregnancy, by postpartum, by parenting. Like those were always things that I was always drawn to. And I just kept trying to amass as much knowledge as I could about those things. Um, even before I was ready to be a parent, we're talking about early twenties. I was taking childbirth classes for fun, breastfeeding classes for fun. Really? I was single, <laughs> but I just wanted to know everything that I could. And um, I ended up befriending midwife not on purpose but i would meet someone click with them and then realize oh she's a midwife and then the universe kept throwing me you know yeah. like here wait and speak on that because okay well because so you get pregnant with felix so you right. have your miscarriage and now you're you how long was that time period between very short i want to say w within a month or two after i had my miscarriage we conceived right away and everything was fine. I had to be on some supplements and progesterone and stuff at the beginning of the first trimester just to make sure. But yeah, it was quick. It was quick, thankfully. Thankfully, yeah. and it was easy. You know, it wasn't like we had to go down a lot of difficult roads that a lot of women have to go through with infertility and with, you know, medications and stuff like that. So it was quick. And then since you did, because there's a reason why I'm going here yeah. and how it's going to pivot into my next question, but... Yes. Since you did do research, what was your pregnancy journey like then? Because it is interesting. You don't hear a lot of, oh God, and I can't believe you're saying 38 years old. That's not even old. I know. But in the grand scheme of things, even me, I got pregnant at 34. That I mean, my whole family was like, you're never going to have kids. And I'm like, why? Because right. I'm in my mid-30s. <laughs> right. But it's just not what is typical. 
So right. tell me about your pregnancy when you did become pregnant with Felix and then your birth and if it changed from what you knew. Did you want to do anything different because you had the knowledge that a lot of people don't have at your age? The pregnancy was great. I enjoyed it. In my mind, I had always wanted to do a home birth or a birth center birth, you know, because I had because most of my birth education from before pregnancy and all of my information, it was probably more geared more came to me from midwives than it did from hospitals or OBs because what OB is going to sit and talk to you you know I don't have any OB friends I don't there's lovely people I'm sure but they're not I don't have any OB friends midwives that's what your journey was midwives yeah like I, I Karina one of my oldest friends we're going on 20 something years of friendship now we met African drum and dancing and she recruited me into her African dumb and dance crew and she was a midwife. And so I was just like, oh. and that's where I, I got a lot of my information. So I wanted a home birth. I wanted a birth center birth, but it, this is very typical. And I see this a lot with my own clients, with a lot of moms that I talk to. My husband had so much fear around that because, because I was older. And, you know, every time you go at the time I was seeing a, a, a typical practice to start the pregnancy because we had a miscarriage and I was being a little, you know, I wanted to see my numbers going up with the HCG, the whole nine. He wanted, he wanted hospital monitored. I want to make sure you're okay. I want to make sure. And that was his knowledge of what. That was doing. his knowledge. Correct. And um, I wanted natural and I wanted home and I wanted birth center. So we kind of talked about it for a while and we decided together to both kind of compromise a little bit and to go with a, a certified nurse midwife, which was part of a team, but in the hospital. Okay, for, that's a good compromise. For, you know, kind of a compromise. And, and I remember, you know, my midwife friends going, you know, trying to really embrace my decision but I know like in their hearts thinking, but you're, that you're still part of a practice. You still don't know who's gonna be with you on call the day you go into labor. You might love this midwife, but the day of, you don't know who's gonna be there. Oh. And that's a big thing for at least me, not maybe not for every mom, but for me, it was important to be connected to the person who was gonna be there. And that's when I started, I, I, I took hypnobirthing because I was at least like, I wanted to feel it all. Like I know that sounds weird, um, some women are not like that, but I, I really embraced every moment of pregnancy, you know, the discomforts, the bad, the good, the whole nine. And I was looking forward to feeling the whole journey, what my body was doing on its own to have this baby come out of my body. I really wanted to feel it all. I was looking forward to pushing, you know, like that to me was like, I don't even know, like the climax of everything. Like I was really looking forward to all of that and feeling it. So I took hypnobirthing and that was, for me, it was great preparation. Um, it served me well. I, I labored completely naturally in the hospital, never once asked for anything, never once wasn't managing it. The nurses, you know, this, again, this is a long time. My son is almost 10. So yeah. this is 10 years ago. <laughs> You're so, 20, like it's only 10 years ago, but in the birthing world and things because a lot has changed yes. in those 10 years so back then people in the hospital were not used to seeing natural births it was very very much you came in you got the epidural and that's what it was and when i labored the whole labor with no med the, the nurses would come by and be like is she okay is what's going on is she how could could she be you know so it was kind of a very strange thing. I did have a doula. Hypnobirthing introduced me to what a doula was. So even though I was technically doulaing for all my friends um, in my 20s, because I was that's what I was doing. I was there at the births. I was there helping them support through pregnancy. Mm -hmm. But I learned that that was a thing. And that's when I hired my doula 
after my birth and she was wonderful. She was always a, uh, also a massage therapist. So she was fantastic. And that's how I really learned what it was. And then uh, everything was going beautifully and great. And I labored and da, 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 da. And then I got to 10 centimeters um, and I started to push and then I started to push and then I started to push. And, um, you know, nobody was really telling me anything in terms of, why we weren't getting anywhere, why I was like pushing still and nothing was happening. And now that I know what I know through all my experience and, and doula training, you know, I can kind of revisit my own birth and see what happened, what didn't happen and all that. But long story short, after about three and a half hours of pushing, baby was not getting anywhere. Baby was not descending, wasn't getting to where it needed to, nowhere near where it needed to go. So they called a C-section. And I remember that that was the hardest part of my entire labor was from the moment that like they told me, well, this isn't working. We need to call in an OB to consult on the case and see what's going on. And it was almost an hour from the time they told me we're going to call in an OB. Yeah, I know. To the time that the OB came that hour you'll my husband will tell you that is when i felt the pain that is when i felt the oh my god this sucks like this is intense i don't like it what's going on because i you know they're telling me at that point don't push but you, you can't have to push. push when you're in the pushing mode you cannot help it and for that almost hour of of trying to not push during the pushing stage and waiting for that ob unknown of you're like i went through this no one's telling me anything so now your energy has shifted from Completely. i got this i'm surrendering to yes. oh shit and your baby is feeling all of it exactly exactly and once you know she came she had me push she tried to get me on hands and knees but it was too late by then because of his positioning where he was it was excruciating. I tried to get on hands and knees on the back of the hospital bed, I remember, because she said, well, try to get on hands and knees. Now I know he was posterior, mm. um, which at the time nobody said or nobody whatever, but um, the nerve pain on my back when I tried to get on hands and knees was like I was being stabbed in the sciatica with a hot poker. Like it was unbearable, unbearable. So I was like, I can't, I can't do that. I got to get back on the other position. And then that's when she gave me her, her little speech, which they give, you know, you've tried so hard, you've done so well, da, 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 da. sometimes that's not our journey and da, da, da. We, we're going to, she was very nice when she got there. She, I mean, I love her still. I work with her all the time now. She was wonderful, but it was just that get waiting, the waiting, the waiting is what killed me. And then I had a C-section and, you know, that really led me to a whole other thing of why I became a doula and why I created a community because I didn't have it. I didn't have a mom. I didn't have a sister. I didn't have any family around. And now recovering from a C-section, you need all the help you can get as a first time mom anyway. And then when you throw C-section at it, that's even more challenging. So all of these things and all of the problems that I had, breastfeeding issues that I had, everything, you know, they all helped me educate myself and learn how I could give back to the community and where I wanted to fit into the puzzle of birth work because of my own personal journey as and making, well. And saying I wanted other women to be educated, because like you said, you didn't know, no one was telling you what was actually going on inside your body where now you know and talk about the posterior because i know i've heard that before what is that now that you do know could they have done anything to fix that 
Yes. Um, so posterior. So basically, we hear a lot about baby's positioning. Most women's concern during pregnancy, all you hear is, is the baby head down. They hear the baby breach, breach. the baby head down. And they think once baby head down, you're good and you're golden and life is good. Not so much the case all the time. It depends on your anatomy and your physiology. But what you want baby to be faced a certain way so that the smallest part of the head enters into the pelvis, right, when you're birthing. So you don't want baby to be face forward because then you got the wide, the wide part of the head coming out and it makes for a very, a much more difficult exit. If you have anterior where the baby is turned the other way, then it's just easier and they're kind of like sideways. Yeah. Um, so they come out sideways and you see the rotation of the head as the babies are coming out and the shoulders come out the way so that they're not like this they come out so that the smallest part of the shoulder comes out and the baby does that rotation so when babies are posterior it's really hard to push them out like it's doable um if other factors you know come at play but it's very difficult and and yes um you know i did have a doula and she was great but i also talked to when the, i talked to moms too who are preparing for their births i always say having a doula is great and it's really you know important that you click with that person just on a soul to soul level but really you know experience and matters too and at the time you know we were we didn't have any money so we hired a student doula because you know at the time it was like pay what you can so we hired her and in some ways she was great because i needed double hip squeezes the whole time because it was a posterior labor which means you're feeling every contraction in your back every single one you don't feel it in the front like typical you feel it in your back so she must have pressed against my sacrum for like five hours basically you know straight and she but was she fantastic but she didn't know anything about positioning and all that because she was brand new it's not her fault she just didn't know so now you know because again because of that i know and i educated myself specifically on optimal fetal positioning using spinning babies technique using chiropractic and webster techniques all these things during pregnancy so that when you get to birth you've already got the best chance that you have of having a vaginal smooth delivery because baby's already kind of getting into the right position so yeah a lot of I look at that and that's 10 years ago and it's funny because I, I never even heard of anything about that and it still boggles me to my podcast listeners that in 2020 and I think I say this maybe once or twice in some kind of interview that I have that we're still learning about things about pregnancy when we have been giving birth since the beginning of time. Since the beginning of time. Yeah. <laughs> and there's still things we're learning and that we don't and it's such a disservice of what women have to go through because you are bringing life into this world. So you would think there would be pamphlets, you would pamphlets, there would be things given to us like, look, it could happen. This is now obviously everybody's different. And maybe there are things we can't foresee for sure. Right. Of course, for sure. But for sure. For the overall educational aspect of just birth to me is mind boggling that in 2020 and I'm proud, I'm proud of myself, of someone like you, of Galena, who is my, my midwife at Natural Birth Works, and countless others, though, of women who are trying to have these conversations so that right. information is getting out there. Exactly. Because to me, it's just maddening that we go into birth thinking that it's a medical procedure. When you're doing it at the hospital, it's not a natural thing. It becomes, to them, a medical procedure. And how are you going to be seen by an, if you're only, like, if you're seeing an OB, for example, 
the OB doesn't educate you on positioning, on what you can do during pregnancy to help, on the positioning, the impact of positioning in your birth. Even the midwives, the nurse midwives, you know, most of them are lovely, but they're overloaded too. They've got so many cases and so much on their plate that they don't have as much time as that they would like with their patients. And um, as women, we don't get education. We're just told you're going to go into labor. It's going to be like this maybe. And the OBs don't get there until you're pushing, until you started pushing for a while. That's when the OBs will come. And there's so much that happens in that in between, you know, that can make or break the deal really so and now i want to kind of go into what it clicked before when you were saying that you know your journey kind of led you to where you are now to where you have your own business as being a post a doula a birth photographer which we'll get into and you know your whole passion around really educating like we just said moms through the birthing experience and all of that but what did you do before you became a doula what was your career and it's interesting obviously i know but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's still one and the same, just maybe thinking, doing different things. So why don't you speak exactly. a little bit about that? Yeah, it all kind of connects and it all now, you know, I look back and everything that I did in my educational journey has served me in one way or another, even though it doesn't really look like the same thing. But I got my degree in theater performance <laughs> and I was an actor and a dancer and a singer for a while and, and decided, holy crap, I can't make enough money to like support myself doing this. And I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to go to New York or LA like a lot of my people that I was at school with. I wanted to stay here. So I ended up substitute teaching and my mom always worked at a school in the office. So we had connections. So one thing led to another and I decided, oh, okay. I guess maybe I'll do that because I was doing, uh, before that I was working at Merrill Lynch, actually Merrill Lynch, the financial company. Um, I got a temp job there. When I, when I decided I didn't want to be a starving artist anymore, I got a temp job with Merrill Lynch. <laughs> and my temp job lasted for six years. They hired me oh, because- You go girl, that says, that says more about you than anything, and yeah. <laughs> they hired me like after, as soon as my, my temp thing was whatever, they found a way and they hired me. And I was making good money then, but I was miserable, miserable hating life. But I was still doing theater on the side at night. Oh, your passion, you loved side. it. It wasn't enough, I was miserable. I, I, corporate America was not for me. It wasn't, it was not, it didn't suit me. So when I knew I had to leave and I knew that just theater wasn't gonna cut it, I was like, all right, well, let me get into education. Let me start substitute teaching. And one thing led to another. And then I decided to get my degree in education, not my degree, my certification in education because being a sub kind of got me into the classroom and realizing I really like working with kids, but what am I gonna teach? Because I didn't have a background in education. So I taught theater. So that was my into education. I ended up teaching musical theater, acting the whole nine for a few years. And really, I loved it. I had a great time. I loved working with the kids. I loved putting on the productions. We had so much fun, but it's exhausting. If you've ever, if you're ever a band director or a theater teacher, like they'll <laughs> tell you, you have no life, you know, even though back then I didn't have a family, but um, you have no life and it was very exhausting. So after doing that for a while, teaching theater, I taught it for three years. Then I took a year off, a leave of absence, because I was like, all right, I like teaching, but this is crazy. What else can I teach? Because I can't do this theater stuff. It's too much. 
So I was like, well, I, I speak Spanish because I'm Cuban and was raised bilingual. So I was like, I can teach Spanish. So I, th during that year that I got off, I got certified and I added Spanish onto my certification, went back in and I told them when I came back to the force, because if you're a teacher and you take a personal leave of absence, after that year, they're required to find you a job, basically. It won't be where you were, but it'll be a job somewhere. And I remember when I got that, when I told them, I was like, I'm ready to come back. You know, I have my Spanish. I'm ready to teach Spanish. I'm ready to teach Spanish, not theater, Spanish. You know, I love, I love education. I I'll do anything but middle school. Like, I just don't like middle school. It's not my forte. I don't like that age range. Of course, the first phone call I get was like, hey, we found a position for you. It's at Crystal Lake Middle School in Pompano. And I was like, and you can't you really can't say no because if you say no that like, you're out like you, you don't get to say where you want to work so i was like all right well this is everything happens for a reason so um i ended up there and i ended up teaching middle school for eight years wow. and then finally convincing a principal that i knew to bring me back over to the high school side to end my career with education. So I ended up teaching for 15 years wow. at Broward County Public Schools, half high school, half middle school. Do you miss it? I miss the interaction with the kids. I miss watching them develop and grow and change. And mo most of the time, what I taught them was life stuff. I was a teacher that always knew what was going on with all, you know, the students because there was always a chair next to my desk and there was always a kid sitting in that chair telling me their problem. My boyfriend did this, my mom did that, you know, I don't have a home, I have no shoes, like especially when I was teaching at the inner city schools, I would buy clothes and shoes and everything for kids because they, they didn't have. So I miss that. I miss the interactions and the being able to see that the impact that I was making on a person's life, on their self-esteem, on their, that, that's what I miss. But I, you know, I, I've probably stayed at least four or five years too long because the educational system, the public school system changed and it was all about testing and FCAT back then. And it was all about teaching to the test. And it, I was just like, oh, this is, it's not fun. I, it's not fun anymore. I can't do this. So that's kind of how I segued out of that and into becoming a doula when my okay. son was old enough. Okay, so now we can go into that. So now Felix is here, you know, and you have such an amazing story in the sense of, like you said, of not having the help that you realize after having a child that is so desperately needed for a new mom. So why don't you talk a little bit about that time from times that you could remember, and I guess on a macro level of it, of like the things that you wish you knew, the things maybe you thought you should have done differently, um, and then we'll kind of go into how that steamrolled into you becoming Zen Mama Love. I remember focusing, and this is very common, and this is something that I touch on with all the moms that I work with, but it doesn't often hit home until later. I remember focusing so much on pregnancy and birth, hypnobirthing, labor, what is that going to be like? What am I going to do to prepare myself and all that, that I didn't really think past that. I didn't think, okay, I'm going to get home and then what? we didn't really think about it or prepare for it. I remember vividly getting home, putting the car seat bucket thing down on the on our furniture and looking at my husband and going, now what do we do? Like, just literally. Say, and let me, well, let me, because I actually was just gonna ask you when that time period was, because I think for me, truthfully, when Jace was born, and you guys left, I think a part of me didn't want to, because I'm like, yeah. what the fuck do we do now? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there was no we one to ask. Us grown up food. We can't go make him a drink. <laughs> like, he's not a guest in our home. 
and I remember that at the time my dad was still alive and bless his heart, he was a great dad, like a great provider, but did not have a nurturing bone in his body in that way. Like that was just not his thing. And I remember my tia, my aunt was here. I guess they must have followed us home from the hospital or something. And, you know, they visited for a little bit. And then I remember them saying, okay, well, we're going to go. Not even two hours. They probably like, okay, well, we're going to go. And I was like, you're going to go? What do you mean you're going to go? Like, what do I do? <laughs> like I said to her, yeah, aren't you going to stay here? And she was like, no, I can't. I have to go back and I have a job. And I was like, holy shit. Like we didn't plan for like, how are we going to get through this? Who's going to show us? Obviously we knew we had to feed him and burp him and, sure. you know, diaper him, but you know, there's so much more than that. And the cues and, and why is he always crying? Oh my God, you, he, you know? Google really back then. <laughs> what did you have? Cause I lived on my Google. <laughs> You know what? We ha- I guess we had it, but we didn't really... It wasn't like use it is now. Not like now. And in Facebook, too. I was on Facebook. I was definitely on Facebook, but it was early. It was early Facebook, and you didn't have the group. You had some groups, but not like now. And like now, is like it's a whole new world. Yeah. So I tell my clients, every single one today, I say, if I had known then what I know now about the postpartum period... I would have sold my car to afford a postpartum doula to hire her to stay, you know, at least for the overnights at the beginning for a month, at least I I would have sold anything, any of my possessions to have that guidance and support in that period of time to help me get my bearings, to help me recover, to help me physically deal with the fact that I'm, you know, had major surgery. And, you know, the anxiety that came from being responsible for this tiny human and not really knowing what to do about it and not having any guidance, definitely that anxiety level rolled into my breastfeeding journey not working because I wasn't sleeping. Everybody was like, sleep when the baby sleeps. No. For me, just at that point in my life, you know, during the day, no. At night, we were constantly up because if we weren't breastfeeding, we were pumping and trying to do the whole thing. And the production took almost an hour. And then during the day, like my nerves were so frazzled for weeks that I I really feel like that's what impeded my milk production. And again, those are things that I learned and then now I try to support with. But yeah, I would do anything to to have a smoother postpartum period, hire a postpartum doula start a meal train, get all your ducks in a row on who's going to come visit you when, you know, of your family, of your closest friends to give you support. That's the biggest thing. It's crazy because I was talking to a woman who owns a newborn care um, thing and her focus is taking care of mommy after baby. She's in Rhode Island. And hi, it's funny. I don't even think I recognize a postpartum doula aspect either. I don't think I did. And when we were talking, she was like, yeah, we have post. I was like, what's the postpartum doula, she's like, yeah, meaning like they help you after. And I'm like, what? I'm like, that's genius. And the whole night nurse thing. I remember my previous boss had a night nurse and I thought that was so bougie and like right, right. rich people have that. Right, yeah. And I'm like, why do you not want to be with your kid in the middle of the night? That's so. And then when I had this woman, again, education, mm-hmm. talk to me about it. She's like, no, sweetie. She was like, in other countries, the village stops so the mom can sleep exactly. and take care of the baby. This is not some new thing that Americans came up with. I said, but look at what's wrong with our country though, because they have right. capitalized it to make it seem like it's like a exactly. very thing where it's like, no, boo-boo, like... <laughs> 
you deserve it. I think women in general, but particularly women of color, we have this thing where we have to take it all on. We have to do it all. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to maybe look weak. It's like in my mind, Jaron, my husband, to the listeners out there, I was like, oh, you know, he has to go to work. So I don't, and it's like, no. You know, it's like, no. So same thing. I think had I also known right. that aspect, I'm like, Jesus, and that was only three years ago. Um, and I remember, I remember your postpartum visit. I remember it in my mind. I can see it. I can see what you were wearing. And I remember, you know, that I usually do those visits within the first week or so, week, first two weeks. And I remember you were, you were stunned. You're, you had that new mom, like, I'm just in survival mode. Like, you can talk to me right now, but I'm not hearing what you're saying, but I'm going to try really hard to hear what you're saying, but you couldn't hear me. I remember you were, you had to stand and breastfeed Jace because you couldn't sit. Every time you try to sit with him, he would not latch properly. It wouldn't work. So you were always standing and, and you were so tired and you were trying to, so hard to figure it out that you know, nothing anybody could have told you at that moment could have, you could have processed it. You know, you were in pure survival mode. And that's what happens to a lot of moms. You get into that point where you're in the red zone and you're in survival mode and nothing that is being to offer to you will, you're, you can't accept it. You're just not there. Because yeah, you're already, you've already reached a point of kind of not no return. Yeah. But it's right. like at that point, you have to figure yeah. it out then because yeah. now you've already made up your mind. So, right. yes, yeah, so for me, I think then the wall had built up too. Because I think even my mom had mentioned something. She's like, Nikki, I remember seeing you. You were so pale. You had lost so much yeah. weight because I was breastfeeding, but I wasn't taking enough in calories, calories in to take yeah. care of myself. She's like, but I didn't want to say anything because I still saw your face that you were like, don't talk to me. Don't say anything. Yeah. I really <laughs> don't have time for any of your shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, and that was only three years ago. So it's so interesting that you say that because I think moms, and, and I'm, I'm glad to put this on here because I think for any listeners out there, if you know of a new, if you're a new mom, if you know of a mom around to have, who's about to have a baby, let them know or have them listen to other women tell their stories and how important it is for moms to take care of themselves and to have, and that it's okay to ask for help and have other people take care of you or even your baby, that it doesn't have to all fall on you. No, exactly. You don't realize how hard it's going to be until you're in it. Like you, you don't think, know. But I got doing. it. But I got it. My husband's gonna be off for two weeks. I'll be okay. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's like a drop in the bucket. Two weeks, like that. No. But you survived it. I survived. I survived, and I and I Google became my friend. My son ended up having. Um, we found out at about week four or five that the reason why anytime he was awake, he was only crying and screaming at the top of his lungs. So it was either screaming or sleeping. That was the two for about four weeks. And we, after multiple visits to the pediatrician that didn't help, we found out through Facebook, I think it was, or Googling or something that is probably reflux. And then I joined the group and then I learned about infant reflux. And one woman took me by the hand on the, you know, virtually by the hand and said, you're going to go to your pediatrician. You're going to tell him that you think he has reflux and that you want this medication. You're going to try the medication and it's not going to work for you, but the insurance won't cover the medication that's going to work for you until you've given a 10 day trial to the, I was like, are you kidding me? She was like, I'm not kidding you. This is, this is what you got to do. And it was like clockwork. I did that. We went on the medication. It didn't work we got put on the second medication and then all of a sudden i had a normal child all of a sudden i was like oh my god he woke up and he's not screaming like my nerves were shot of four weeks of constant screaming the first day i remember it was like the second 
day that he was on the good medication. I remember waking up and going, he's not screaming. Is he okay? Is he alive? Is he like, what's going on? And I look over, he's awake. And he's, I'm like, chilling. Oh my God. Like, oh, I like it. Yeah. And then we started to have a normal life. I got carpal tunnel because I was all, it was this, I was this. I had wrists guards on the whole time because I had to keep him on me. So that's how I learned about baby wearing. And that was my big, big thing at the beginning. I was, I started with baby wearing even before I was a doula and I went to national conventions and I went to learn and I took classes and I got, you know, joined groups because baby wearing saved my sanity. It saved my son, you know, to be able to be upright and save my wrists, my back. Like it really, you know, it saved, it saved me. And so again, that's another one of those. Baby wearing is put a little thing out there for the listeners. So some people don't know, cause I had right. found out about it basically through you. Cause I mean, you see the, um, whatever, but yeah, go ahead yeah. and talk a little bit about it. Um, so that's another thing, kind of like how you mentioned that we think it's bougie or too, whatever. And, you know, like. I don't know what people have a mis it's a hippie thing like you have to yeah. be like a hippie yeah. to a crunchy do it. thing <laughs> yeah crunchy thing and it's like nah like go look at africans go look at mongolians go look at thai people like since the beginning of time until today they wear their babies strapped to their chest or to their back because out of necessity you know because most of those people you know they're part of a community and like you said they're being tended to but at the same time they're also when they're ready cooking and cleaning and, and doing whatever they need to do um so baby wearing allows everybody to keep baby happy and keep you know and participate and in daily life. life and it's it's very interesting because it's such a important thing for reflux babies like they need to be upright otherwise they're gonna choke like there's a reason why they're crying is because they can't breathe you know so the the baby wearing really it's it's a lifesaver sometimes and in countries like when i was really studying and putting together all my presentations for baby wearing i remember one of my slides says in countries like africa where this is a norm and that's just what they do there is no word in their vocabulary that means like a well, colic, which is what oh, we're okay, told gotcha. here. We're told when your baby's upset at the beginning and they can't explain why, the pediatrician, oh, it's colic, it's colic, it's colic. When and there is no word for colic. Baby, no baby just screams because the baby just screams. No. So they don't, they don't have those issues. They don't have colic in those countries. They don't have reflux in those countries because they don't, they never have been given the opportunity to experience, you know, to experience wow, it that's because a good point. their babies and, are on them. And that, I think that goes back to educating yourself and doing the history and don't just be so, and I don't want to say narrow-minded because again, it's things that we've just been ingrained with and things that right. we just take for face value because it's what we're taught, but of broadening your, yeah, your, your research on what it is. Because if we did, like you said, take just face value here, then yeah, in the United States, it's like, oh, well, it's just colic. It's just this. We're in other countries that doesn't even exist because they don't have those issues, <laughs> which is crazy. And actually, now that you mentioned that, I had an employee, a coworker of mine that I'm going to tell him because he was like, he has a new baby. And he was like, he was just crying. The pediatrician just says colic. He's like, but I don't know. And I, I never knew about the reflux either because, again, it's what your experience is. So I didn't have that. Right. I told him to download the Weeks app, the Baby Week, Wonder Week. Wonder Weeks. See, that'll help and give something. Yeah. But I'm going to mention that. I'm going to ask him and say, maybe it's reflux. That's your pediatrician. Right you know, cause that does make sense. And it's, we're constantly holding them like this. Cause right. that's again, what we think is normal. And it's like, right. no, they need to be upright. So exactly. They need that. Exactly. So I know you're a big supporter of baby wearing. 
and so funny my anxiety stopped me from baby wearing yeah i yeah. could not figure out how to do the thing and i know we uh -huh. went through it and i could yeah. not do it and i would get anxiety that if i put right. it on and i put it on incorrectly when jaren wasn't home to help me right. he would fall out right right so that's where my mind went but i wish i did i really truly truly wish i did because jace was a very attached child and we were breastfeeding and if he was not upright this eating not eating my boob <laughs> suckling <laughs> on my boob he was sleeping on my lap you know for right. a good few months right. um yeah. but yes i do wish i would have but my anxiety kind of went exactly away, which you know everyone's thing is is whatever but i think baby wearing is an amazing aspect for new moms to have because you can like you said, you can kind of continue and do other things and not yeah. feel so stuck. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I remember finally going to the toilet <laughs> and in peace because he was strapped to me, but I could, but I could go to the toilet. Otherwise, I had to listen to him scream yeah. the entire time while I was on the toilet. You know, no, so. yeah, for sure. Anything that you had to do, a hundred percent. Okay, so I don't want to say you've gone through that, but you survived that. So tell me, when did it click that you're like, you know what, I want to help other moms, and this is what I'm going to do. It clicked and it was in the back of my mind very soon, probably within the first year postpartum, hitting so many roadblocks sure. and thinking, I have, now that I've learned the hard way, I really want to not have people go through this. I want to help. I want to help other moms not go through all of these bumps that I went through if I can, you know, and then also, especially through the labor and the delivery and the, you know, becoming a doula. So it was definitely right on the radar and and i started like i said because of my because my child was young i started doing things that didn't require that much time commitment so i didn't jump right into doula work i did baby wearing education for a long time because i could do that here and there whenever i did um parenting that's when i got into a lot of my conscious parenting my peaceful parenting and i learned more of that stuff because we quickly re you know realized with with felix that he wasn't the typical kid like you could read all the books and all of the books were not working with what were his temperament he's a very different temperament very highly sensitive highly spirited from day one you know which i'm sure the reflux had to do with it but it was just yeah so i did th those two for a while and that was great but i you know i'd had that itch i just i knew i wanted to be a doula i knew i wanted to be a doula so it would you know it coincided with when i went back i think i went back to work teaching very soon after I had, you know, I got pregnant, unfortunately, because again, our maternity system doesn't support new moms, you know, we have to go back to work. And my husband decided he, because he was in the theater, he had more flexibility. So he took some time off to be home with our child. And I went back to work. It was, you know, once I went back to work and started teaching again, you know, my heart was torn because I didn't want to be, you know, away from my child. I wanted to be with him and I wanted to be doing things surrounding parenthood and 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 that whole thing so mm -hmm. in 2014 something clicked he was born in 2010 in 2014 that's when i was like i cannot teach anymore i can't i can't i got my husband was like you need to quit like you need to get out of there this is killing you and then i was like well maybe it's time maybe i really need to see what this doula thing is all about and let me learn and research and find out what's out there and what it means and what can i really do with it and in 2014, I took a course, uh, an in-person workshop here locally at the time. It was at Natural Birth Works, but before they had their birth center, it was a little, they had a little office in Coral Springs and they had a, a professor, not a professor, an instructor come from CAPA, the organization that I'm with, um, that I'm certified through. And 
she was offering this doula course and I was like, let's do this. I'm gonna do this. Let's do this. So I did it. I did the weekend workshop and then I was like, all right, full steam ahead. It was like, I think they said most people who start the process one to two years, that's when they finish their certification because it's a lengthy process and there's a lot of things that you have to do. I think I was done in seven months. I was like, I'm doing this. I don't care. There's a birth. I'm calling out sick of work. Like I'm doing this. So I finished up that last two year teaching. And by that summer I had, I was pounding the pavement, making connections, introducing myself to midwives, to doctor OBs. I was calling, I was calling hospitals. Like, like I was someone, I was like, Hey, I I need to talk to the director of L and I want to come and talk to her and explain to her what I'm, I was brazen. I don't know where that was coming from, but I was just like, I don't care. I'm doing this. And that's, that's where it all started, 2015. Wow. And then what was it like getting your first client? I know you, it's like, it's like when I talk to um, midwives and I'm like, you know, your first birth and thing, what was that like, you know, that experience? If, I'm sure you remember. It was amazing. It was, it was also through that, again, through that certification program, you had to do three certification births along with being their doula and, and, you know, jumping in, you had to also get three pieces of evaluations done by medical staff. No, mentira, two, two medical staff, one the client, one the mom. So I had to have her do an evaluation on me. And then that was the most nerve wracking thing. I wasn't worried about serving her or doing the wrong thing or whatever. Cause me, you know, I approach my doula work like I do anything else, which is I use my intuition. You know, I use my wisdom. What do I know? I really do have faith that at the moment that things are happening in, in a woman's labor, that I will be guided to be able to help her change positions or do whatever. I'm just very intuitive. That's how I am in, in life. And that has served me very, very well with my doula work. Um, so I really wasn't nervous about the doula part of it. I was excited because I had already been to a few births for friends. You know, I had been doing it for a while. And of course, they were friends and family. So it's a little less, you know, pressure. But um, I really wasn't so nervous about that. I was, I was like, how am I going to get these evaluations from this Ellen D nurse who, you know, I'm a new newbie doula who she doesn't know. How am I going to get an OB in a hospital to fill out this evaluation for me? Like that was the nerve wracking part for me. So I, I still, I'm, I remember my first client. We're still friends to this very day. My son and her son play, like we're still connected. I think I'm connected to probably most of my clients that I've met throughout the years. That's awesome. So tell me, you know, and, and, you know, speak on being a doula based on what I've seen, you know, um, actually in any birth worker, right? Especially, I mean, actually all of them, OBGYNs as well, you know, because obviously they're, they're, they have to go in, so if a mom goes into labor and start there, they have to be awoken uh-huh. in the middle of the night. Um, but there is something about a midwife and a doula on that more holistic approach of how more personal it is and more intimate it is. My uh, midwife, Galena, she, she did house visit. It, I feel it's a little more taxing. It can be a little more taxing maybe on the mental aspect. And For sure. when you don't have a village who's taking care of your kids, uh, of your own children. Right. So speak on that a little bit of the misconceptions before we go into your photography, because I definitely want to talk about that. Um, how that's kind of now that's like your new journey of showing the beautiful visions and images yeah. of birth, but some misconceptions and some pros. And I don't want to say cons, but it's it's work. It's 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 yeah. talk about that. About like the difficult side of being a doula, kind of. Yeah. Or a birth worker, I should say. Yeah. And both, like the, like what you've gotten out of it. Obviously, it's fulfilling. I mean, that in itself. 
but also the difficult side that people don't see and you know how much I had to appreciate that until I became a mom of seeing right. what you I'm like oh shit <laughs> you know? yeah yeah um, because we're also friends so talk about that you know yes like definitely the pros or like the, the blessings are just being a witness and, and helping helping a mom become a mom you know seeing her take tentative steps at the beginning watching her on her journey from you know again from pregnancy because you're a mom once you're pregnant you know from pregnancy to postpartum that's so fulfilling for me to have the honor of being there to to help them you know during those moments and then stay connected to them and help them in any way i can in the future that to me is is just a blessing it's just i'm always so grateful that this is what i can do and and that i have that ability to do this for these women these families um, but yeah, it's hard. And, you know, it's one of those things that over time, you know, you have to, you have to learn how to create a, a life for yourself that is balanced between your business and your personal life as a mom and as a wife. It's as, it Martha, can get, as, Martha as, as an individual, as an individual, as a woman, because you are on call 24 seven. If you're like me, like I limit the number of clients that I take because I want to be there for my moms. I don't want to have to call in a backup. So I'm very, so that's step one is limit for me was limit the number of people that I can serve so that I can serve them with my whole heart. So if it's two people, I'm giving them everything, but it's hard because I can't tell you all, you know, all my friends will tell you they're like, Hey, we're going to go on the boat. I was like, no, I can't go on the boat because if I get called, I'm on a boat and I can't get back to that mom. So I can't go on a boat. I can't travel. 20, 30 minutes away from my home, you know, to visit my friend in Port St. Lucie or to go out for a weekend, get away with my family or to, you know, to go for a girl's the night. Spontaneity, the spontaneity is like non-existent. Non-existent. Um, and again, you know, of course I always have backups, but you know, I don't want to use the backups because I went out on a boat, you know, I, that's, that's not fair. Like that's not how I roll. So, you know, I really limit, you know, what I can do and what I, you know, can and cannot do when I'm on call. And because of that, again, you'd learn, you learn. So at the beginning, I was like, yeah, you, you want to hire me? Okay, let's do this. And I was, you know, took every opportunity that I could, of course, when, you know, and you're learning, but then when you realize, oh my God, you never get to rest and you never, you know, then I was like, all right, how can I restructure this a little bit? And so, you know, it might've been with you, I think maybe that you helped me figure out at one point that you were like, you were a teacher, you know, you had summers off and you had winter break and you were like, why don't you just take those off? Like, don't, you know, find a way to, when I was like, that's brilliant. So that's what I started doing. And to this day, I don't take December clients. I'm picky with my Novembers because my son has a birthday in November and I've missed his big, huge scavenger hunt party that I created with everything. And then I missed it um, a couple of years ago because I was at a home birth about an hour away. And, um, you know, I have to make sure that I find that balance so I don't take certain months a year. I just don't take clients um, so that I can breathe and, you know, have my glasses of wine and, you know, just not worry about my phone going off at 2 a.m. And, and having to be on because when a mom calls you at 2 a.m. and says, oh my God, this is happening and is this normal? And what, you know, you have to be able to go from a deep sleep to making sense of whatever she's telling me, which is probably a little incoherent, you know, cause she's anxiety and got, you know, nervous. Yeah. 
So you never really get that full rest because you're always kind of waiting. Never off. You're always on. Like I said, it's almost like a doctor or someone where you have to be cognizant of what's going on, especially if you're going to do it the proper way. And obviously that's kudos to you because you're like, look, I have, this is my job to do. And I want to make sure I'm doing it to the best of my ability to give it. And it is kind of different because, you know, the doctors, again, we don't really talk to our doctors on the phone. That's you know, we, we go to the office and we see them. And if it's an emergency, they meet us somewhere. But I'm the person that's going to be up with you all night. Exactly. Texting text all night. Call. Okay, yep. text me in an hour. Tell me how you're feeling. If that didn't work, okay, now let's try this. And, and you know, I'm constantly going, constantly going. So when a mom has been in prodromal labor for three days and then we hit the hospital on the fourth and she's only there for seven hours and everybody's like oh that was a short birth i'm like no 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 <laughs> i've been up with her for three days like that was not a short birth so yeah it's challenging but it's beautiful to see that you recognize your own mental health and the importance of martha because if your cup isn't full if you then you have nothing to give I have, exactly 100%. you know so tell me how that transitioned into your new love of birth photography oh my goodness that was it was like it was a perfect marriage um I had always been a photographer for fun I think I probably have owned 20 cameras you know since I was probably seven was my first camera that I can remember and I was always fascinated with taking pictures and I liked to capture people that was my thing that I really focused on people just emotions and people and you know once I started doing doula work I was like oh my gosh like I could do birth, like I can document birth. This is amazing. This is just the most amazing thing. Why don't I offer this to my clients? And birth photography is a whole other ball game. Like, you know, there's a lot of photographers in the world, um, but again, that same on-call aspect of birth photography is crazy. When you're learning how to work your camera on manual mode and everything is up to you to figure out all the settings while you're in this zone of what is unfolding in front of you, you're often in really dark rooms with very little light. Things are happening, you know, fast, unpredictably. You're constantly yeah, you moving. The right light shot. is constantly changing. You know, you have one shot to get that baby coming out. You can't redo that. So I learned by just doing at the beginning, I would, if, if I was your doula, my second question was like, do you mind if I take pictures at your birth? It's not going to cost you anything. I just want to take pictures and I'll give them to you. And you know, I'm, I just want to learn and be better at it, whatever. And I did that for a long time, probably my first year of doing doula work, perfecting the, the birth photography. And then it was, then I was hooked. I was like, oh, okay. And my work started to get better and I started to get really good at it and learning how to manipulate things and then incorporating flash finally into it, which I didn't want to do for a really long time. Then seeing how, because my work got better and because it became something that was art, then using it as a tool for healing, then I was like, wait a minute, now let me, how can we tie this in again to the maternal mental health? And it was really for me then became a a part of capturing the woman's transformation and journey from pregnancy to postpartum and the changes that go physically, but especially in birth, because when you're in birth, as you know, as I know, as birthing women, you lose track of time, you lose track of space. Unless you're like me and I recognize that the picture frame was the one. (laughs) Sorry for my listeners during my birth, my picture, and I was like, fix the picture frame. (laughs) But yes, but correct, you have no sense of anything. You have no sense of anything, and you're just in it, and you're just getting through it in the most primal sense of the word. 
So you don't really often get the gift of being able to see yourself from a different perspective as a powerful birthing person. Mm -hmm. So I can't tell you how many times I've been able to, and I get I'm getting goosebumps now, how when I showed a mom a, a birth gallery, you know, weeks after she's delivered, her eyes, you know, she starts to well up in tears and it finally hits her. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I did that. Like I got through that. I, whether it was a C-section, whether it was natural, whatever it was, I did, that. I did, I did that. I know I can do that. I know I can do anything because I did that. Yeah. So it becomes this really healing tool. And, and, you know, again, now shifting into not just the birth, now that I'm like all about the whole thing like the transformation physically like what it does to our bodies to be able to document the breastfeeding connection between mother and child to me is beautiful and gorgeous and and it's such a fleeting period in our lives whether it's for a week or a, a year or two whatever it is like it's so beautiful to capture that connection and and the, the postpartum that fourth trimester i think is just the most beautiful honest raw thing that i could do is capture those postpartum moments, those struggles of the mom with the leaky, picture, leaky yes. milk and the, and the mesh undies and all that. Like, I just think it's all so beautiful and so powerful. And it's definitely my passion now where I'm, you know, moving, shifting. And I appreciate for you saying that because again, society, I know for me, when it was my turn, because I think you were doing photography at that point. Uh, I uh, yes, I was. I, I think but. you were like, no, 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 my sister's going to be there. Yeah. Like, no, because she was going to take pictures. But again, right. it's right. I, I didn't know the beauty of it. I hadn't even seen the pictures of what I'm like, no, she'll take pictures. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm grateful I have them. But yeah. after seeing, I'm like, oh, no, I get it. <laughs> I get <laughs> yeah. the importance of showing that. Yeah. Um, and I wish I would have had some other more. I mean, they were raw shots. Like I'm thankful because right. some people have none from because right. this is a, a new kind of taking pictures during birth. What? Right. Right. Um, and I have videos of me pushing and stuff like that. So a uh, hundred, I'm thankful for that. But yes, looking back, um, so I'm so happy that again you put that perspective because it's this whole notion of a photographer at my birth. Right. Pay for that? What is this right. like thing? Exactly. And it's like no, it's beautiful to see as a new mom again as you're going through that surviving thriving fourth trimesters to see those pictures yes you can sit there and say i did this and just like you just said i can do anything now exactly and exactly. you have that picture to always look to to say yes if i ever am doubting myself if exactly. i'm ever lacking anything of of my capabilities in this world it's like you could look at that and i want to talk about the picture behind you <laughs> no, unfortunately, the podcast, this is more audio. However, in talking with you, I'm like, hmm, I think I might do something with the video here, even though I look like a hot ass mess, but it's okay. <laughs> I look like a ghost. I'm like so no, white right now. I'm no, like... you look fantastic. <laughs> but I love the picture. So I'm thinking of, of doing something with the video here. But tell me about that picture. Didn't you win an award? Haven't you won an I award? Did. That was super exciting for me. Because this that was probably the year that I really took off as a birth photographer and I started getting recognized and people were starting to know my name with birth photography, not just with doula work. Like I was well known already as a doula and respected in the community, but not so much as a photographer yet. So this was the year that I was like, I'm doing this for real. I'm taking, I'm stepping it up a notch. Let's do this. I'm getting, you know, I'm upgrading my equipment. I'm doing a whole nine. And this was a very dear friend of mine. She was a client and she hired me early on and she had an amazing arc in her pregnancy journey growth kind of like 
you know, where she started off at the beginning of the pregnancy feeling very insecure and oh my God, and I might die in childbirth and I don't know if I want to do this on my body. And by the end, she was like amazing. She was so happy and so, you know, mm -hmm. it had been such a growth for her. And this was one of those experiences where she hired me to be her doula and her birth photographer, had a phenomenal birth. And she was very open, like, of course, so the trick about the tricky thing about birth photography, too, is it's birth photography. So people think, I don't want to do that. You're going to catch me naked and you're going to, you know, you're going to see my boobs. And my, and, yeah, right. So, you know, it's, it's understandable. And I always tell everybody, like, listen, I don't share anything unless you've given me 100% written permission to say that I can share this. I'm not there to spectate your vagina to the world. Like, so, but this client, she was great. And she was very open to me sharing things because she knew how empowering it was. And that's how we get the message across. We show, we teach, we have to teach with visuals sometimes. So she was super gracious and she was super open for me sharing her birth pictures. Um, I remember editing a series of her placenta as it was coming out, birthing her placenta with all of the colors and all that. And, and it was amazing. And because she was so open, I was like, you know what? How would you feel if we did a raw fourth trimester session at your home right after mesh undies, whatever it is, it is capturing the real, you know, the real, she was like, let's do this. And again, was so open and so, you know, okay with me using it to share to empower whatever. And that moment just happened organically. We were taking some pictures of her breastfeeding and I wanted some pictures of her breastfeeding, you know, just sure. skin to skin. And baby was probably like five pounds there, five and a half pounds. And I remember, I think that's her milk had just started coming in and we put baby on breast and we were doing something and the dog came in and did something funny. All of a sudden the baby was away and she like, the milk squirted out and like went everywhere and we all started laughing and the dog was licking the milk from the floor and we were all just laughing so hard and it was dripping down. I was like, hold on a second. I need to, I need to capture this. And sure as shit, I captured it and really fell in love with that moment. And somebody said, you should probably submit that to a competition. I was like, nah, you think? So I did. And lo and behold, my, fir my first competition that I submitted for birth photography, and it won one of the top awards in the entire competition in 26 countries in whatever. It won uh, Judge's Choice. Judge's Choice. Judge's Choice, which is even cool, for the, uh, whatever that category was. Fresh 48, I think it was, or something like that. Wow. So, yeah. So then I was like, you know what? I, I can do this, and I want to do this. And from there, you know, I just kept, like I said, updating my crafts and doing things. And actually, I'm waiting right now because there was another huge award that was given out by the Documentary Family Awards had a competition, and they just had live judging for two days. And one of my images made it to the final round and if i'm not mistaken i don't want to jinx myself but i think it got to the top 10. so mm -hmm. i'm waiting like any moment to get the official like this is what you did you earned another award and and i'm so happy i'm so yeah, your photography in general is beautiful i mean the pictures mm -hmm. you take of your family now i see of you doing some family photos and stuff your sessions but no your um your postpartum ones are magnificent they're mm -hmm. magnificent they are works of art Thank you really, truly you. are. And it is very empowering. And I think you do give moms the moment where we are in our most, like, we feel disgusting in the sense of, yeah. like, are we ever going to feel our normal selves again? Is our body, you could see, you know, she just had the baby. So her belly, right. yeah. everything, yeah. her nipple, everything. Yes. 
everything. And it's just so empowering. And it's just a work of art of how beautiful women's bodies are and not to be ashamed of that. Absolutely. In all of its stages, in the mush undie, swollen belly, postpartum stage, all of it. In the in the saggy belly that stays behind when you're eight years postpartum. Like it's all beautiful. All beautiful. Yeah, that's actually a good point because I think we do sometimes focus on the immediate postpartum, right? Of going through the first year. I feel like the first year is like really the hardest, right? At least for me. Some women might be the first three months, six months, and they kind of get a grip for me. It was like it took a year for me to kind of like assess and I'm still three years in. So what is your take on that? What do you think it is? I, and I'm, I'm like, I think we're always in, po- we're always, in we post- always are. It's always, I mean, you're 10 years in. So you tell me you are always postpartum. Your body is never going to be the same than it was before you had that child. Mm-hmm. And it takes years to ex- not to accept, to appreciate it, to, to understand that. Yes, that is the case. And yes, it's a beautiful, magical thing because you had the honor of holding, carrying, and birthing a child. How many people don't get that opportunity, unfortunately, that might want it? So I feel like maybe not everyone feels the same way, but at least for me, like all the sagginess and all the stretch marks and all that, those are all badges of courage showing like my body sustained a life and it's still sustaining a life. And, you know, the fact that I'm not 30 pounds less right now or whatever is because I'm taking care of my kid and I'm doing this and I'm doing it. Like, it's just not a priority for me anymore to focus on my perfection of my body. Of course, I want to be healthy. I want to be, you know, sure. feel good and not be winded and, and you know, have stamina. But um, I just feel like you're always postpartum and you're, you just learn to accept it, appreciate it. And, and you should celebrate it. Like you should celebrate whatever it is that you look like now, because we survived COVID. Like we, you know, we're always, we're warriors. We survive. And whatever it is, celebrate it now because you did it and you, you, you deserve that. I love it. So before we get into one of my favorite parts of my interviews, which is like a little get to know my little rapid fire question so we can get to know Martha. What is the future of Zen Mama Love, doula, photography? What do you see the next one, three, five years, you know, growing and happening for you? I feel like my passion, like I said, is definitely shifting more to the photography. So I would, I see myself continuing to doula, but probably not as much probably balance it more like i'd love that ideally have you know the months where i have maybe one doula client and you know one birth photography client only where i'm not her doula because you know there's definitely an amount of juggling that goes into it when you're doing multiple roles that are time sensitive and you know all that so i definitely look forward to doing just more standalone birth photography and to just being able to to really focus on empowering women through my art and and to you know show them that it's okay to show themselves breastfeeding to share how important breastfeeding is to really just normalize women's bodies to normalize the motherhood journey all of it and and be able to share that and empower moms before during and after their their pregnancy journey that's kind of where my my shift is going right now. That's awesome. Okay, Martha. So what do we go into? I have a bunch of questions here and I kind of pick and choose depending, but what's your favorite movie? And I like asking this because some people are like, I don't have time for that. Or is there a movie that like you kind of always go to a movie that makes you laugh a movie that makes you think what's that movie for you? 
Oh my gosh. I'm so not a movie person. I know. Um, Every person I ask, I'm like, oh my God, I'm a movie buff. Probably why I yeah. asked this question. <laughs> wow. I, I don't know. Or like the last maybe movie you saw that kind of you were like, yeah, that was good. Maybe even a Disney movie, anything that you <laughs> for kids to see, grownups. How, can, does theater count? Can I say a theater? Okay, a musical? Yeah. I can go on me. Okay, so for sure, 100% for the last year and a half, my whole family and I were obsessed with Hamilton. And we, we listened to the soundtrack before we learned about it. We were driving to North Carolina and we listened to the soundtrack from beginning to end. And but being a theater person, and my husband's also a theater person, but he's like a jaded theater person because he's still in it and he's been doing it for 30 years. So for him to like listen to something and appreciate it, enjoy it, because normally he's like, theater, theater, turn it off. I don't I'm not working. I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he listened to it. I listened to it. And we, the message is so powerful. Everything about that. I see that and I get goosebumps. I, I get pumped up every time I listen to it or I see it or anything relating to it. That for sure was a big one for me. Yeah, that was a good. We actually saw it live. Oh my gosh when they did the Hamilton yeah. when they came mm -hmm. um, but I'm dying to see it in the movie because even then like yeah. in the theater like it's it's different so I want to see and I actually do want to hear the soundtrack because I heard the soundtrack is phenomenal as well I heard phenomenal it. do you have Disney plus I do so I you know. can watch it tonight oh I know I know I know um it, but it's awesome it's funny because I'll ask favorite movie and I'm like <laughs> I have when's the last time we actually went to the movies last night <laughs> oh really um, yeah we did it was so nice what did you see Huh? We, we saw Tenet, the Christopher Nolan okay. thing. It was actually okay, really, yeah. really good. It's one of those movies that I have to see again. Like, Jaren and I were talking it for about 20 minutes afterwards. Nice. It's about a, two parallel universes. And they, oh, it's, cool. It's, very, it's cool. But, yeah, we did um, social distance. So when you sit in your chair, I mean, there wasn't a lot of people anyway. Yeah. I guess they stagger. Mm -hmm. um, and where we went to in Coconut Creek, the Silver Spot, they've revamped their menu. So everything is fresh. They, she said like everything is in-house made, but you could tell they, they're serving instead of a complicated menu, it's things that are readily available. Yeah. Um, we, I had my spicy margarita. Nice. It was very nice. It was nice mm -hmm. to kind of go out. Yeah. I just felt like we needed to. We were going to watch a movie in, in the house and he was like, no, why don't we go out? And I was like, yeah, you're right. But it's funny because I asked favorite movie and it's true. I don't even have time, but I do love movies. When there's a movie or something that can kind of take me and make me kind of <laughs> go into that. Yeah. It's, it's like theater or anything else, listening to music, if it could take you away. Yeah. So I know you do read. <laughs> what's your favorite I do book? Read, yes. I know you love to read. So what's your favorite book or book you want to recommend to the listeners out there that you think is important? You can kind of take this wherever you want to go. Oh, man. Yeah, I do love to read. I definitely read way more than I watch movies. I love family-centered, human-to-human connection books. I just read The Power of One. Okay, so that's what, one that comes to mind. That was probably a year ago that I read. I think Naomi Alderman, I think, is the name of the author, if I'm not mistaken. And it was powerful. It was very empowering for women also. And it was kind of a spin on women who were subdued and then found this power within them, this spark, and that led the physical, like a physical, almost like a superpower kind of thing, and how that kind of turned them into the leaders and how it shifted the, the, the balance in society. And it's a super powerful book, super empowering, super eye-opening, like, oh, wow, that's amazing. So yeah, nice. I like Okay, it. The Power of One, I would I think that's what it was called. <laughs> Double check. <laughs> Didn't you also recommend to me the fourth trimester? Did you read that one or no? Is that what it's called? The fourth trimester? 
isn't it? Or something. Well, a book that I always recommend to, I, there's two books I always recommend to my moms, which is The Wonder Weeks the and Wonder. The Happiest Baby on the Block. Okay. okay. Because that, that really goes into that fourth trimester. Okay. He was, the, he, and he was a male, was the first, he was a pioneer in the, okay, yeah, I remember of, you telling me this. Mm -hmm. of, of really looking at the fourth trimester and how that's a period of time where physiologically our little human babies are not well enough to take care of themselves. We're the only mammal where, you know, horses are born and they start to run and all these other animals are born and they're pretty self-sufficient. Babies, not so much. So he talks about that transition where the babies are still developing and very much need to be held and touched and rocked and swooshed and blah, blah, blah for the entire fourth trimester and that we're not going to spoil them, that you can't spoil an infant, that you can't, you know, it's not going to hinder their development. None of that. So yeah, I remember you telling me about that. So I remember, yeah, I don't think it was the fourth trimester, the name, or maybe there is a book out there that called it, but I do remember you saying it was about the fourth trimester. So I wanted to mention that because you take care of so many moms, what makes Martha happy? Not necessarily what do you do for self-care, but what does Martha need to do to make sure Martha is good? Silence time. <laughs> like I really need time to myself by myself to just be. I like to meditate. I love to listen to music, instrumental. I'm very, very much like, I feel like right now, especially because we're, you know, in a very different situation in our home, we're both still, you know, at home full time. My husband is coming and going a little bit. My son is still distance learning. So I'm never alone. So I, I, I desperately need that quiet alone. I need to put on my instrumental music with my headphones on and lay down and zone out because then if I can do that, I can recharge and I can be able to provide for all the people that I do support, you know, in my family and outside of my family. But when I can't do that, it becomes very challenging. But very I think that's a good point too, of you saying you don't need, like you said, you just need to turn on the music and go somewhere else. It doesn't mean you physically need to go. I think we no. get stuck in like, we need to have this in order to do this where right. sometimes it is very simple as, close your eyes, turn on the music and go. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So that's, that's awesome that you recognize. And actually I was going to ask, I've, I've kind of asked of this enough and I'm like, look, we, you know, we've gone through the quarantine and that was, I think, you know, it's crazy how we're in October and this was in March and it seems so long ago, even though it was just yesterday, like there's so many, so many crazy things that have since happened that, since then, but what are you looking forward to? Post, I'll say that with a more positive, what are you looking forward to post whatever this is? <laughs> I'm looking forward to having my quiet house back. <laughs> I'm looking forward to having my child be safely back in a school where he's thriving. He's not thriving so much in distance learning. He has a lot of anxiety and it's very stressful for him. Um, so I, I, I'm looking forward for him to rejoin that for, for my sake and for his sake. We both realize how much he loves school and, and learning and that he really misses that. And I miss, I miss a quiet home environment to be able to, edit. I love to edit. Like I, some, some photographers love to take pictures, but then hate the editing part of it. I love the editing equally as taking the picture. So I will sit there, you know, with my music playing and a glass of wine, and I will look at that picture and I will play with that and I will paint the blues a little brighter and then I'll mute the blacks and I'll do this. And that's my happy place. Like I will do that. And if I could do that uninterrupted, oh my gosh, then I'll be in heaven. So I definitely look forward to that, to more quiet moments of that 
And, you know, this year really rocked me as a doula because basically it robbed me of my job for a good six months. Like, we still can't go into hospitals, mostly. There's only one hospital that I know of that will take me and accept me to come in with a birthing mom and her partner um, with open arms. Only one. When that happened, I was just rocked. Like, I had clients who were do. I was freaking out that I was not going to be able to be there for them, you know, having to talk to my clients who were due in a couple months and saying, I don't know if I'm going to be allowed at your birth, you know, that was, it, it really hit me how, how important it was for me to, to serve in that capacity. And then it's almost like my hands were tied and I was like, I want to help. I want to help. I want to help, but I can't, I'm not allowed to go into the hospitals and I get it. I get it. Like I a hundred percent understand but um, I look forward to not fearing hospitals, like not, not being told I can't be, I'm not welcome, you know, that I have to fight to get in. Like, I don't want to fight with anybody regarding anyone's birth. Like, yeah. either I'm accepted and, and, you know, told come in or I'm not. I'm not one that wants to fight with the security guard and prove that I'm this, that, and the other or whatever. Like, no, I, no. I, I, miss, I miss that. I miss being able to really support moms who need it in the hospital because you need it in the hospital you need that constant support that's a good point i know we didn't touch on the effects of that but i really wanted to state you know your purpose driven thing into that but yeah i can only you know imagine i know we spoke on it you know obviously when we finally got a chance to meet up and and kind of go out but um yeah i can imagine what that effect has had but thankfully it looks like there are strides and things are i mean you know, all we can do is hope and pray and things get to some normalcy soon. What has motherhood shown you so far or taught you? What is one thing, you know, and not one thing, I know it's hard to say, but that you've really has stuck with you that you kind of try and live by with, you know, with all that. For sure. Um, it, to me, has been learning to surrender, mm-hmm. to surrender, to the unfolding of what is happening to you, to you, with you, through you, whatever that is, that not to fight, not to fight the uphill battle, you know, to more just go with the flow and understand that there's a reason why you're being led in this direction, that it might not be what you thought you wanted. But I think for me, motherhood, and and, and that began at birth, you know, for me, um, because uh, people often mistaken surrendering to like, quitting or something like that and they're two very different things you're not quitting you're you're just looking at the reality of the situation and saying okay this is where i am there's a reason why i'm here all right what am i going to do with this what am i going to learn from this how am i going to move forward from this and maybe it's you know led me to a different path than i thought i needed to be on it big believer that if you surrender and you really tune in and you follow you know, the inspired action that you're given, the inspirations that you're given and not fighting things, your life becomes this beautiful thing. And, you know, that happens all through motherhood because, you know, again, surrender to the fact that although you want your kid to learn how to tie his shoes when he's two, maybe he's not going to do it until he's three. That although you want your kid to be walking by 12 months, maybe your kid is not going to walk until 18 months. Like all these things that we, we want them to do. And as parents, you know, we get stuck into that, but they should be doing this. Surrender, surrender. Your kid's going to get it. I promise you, he's not going to have you tie shoes for his high school graduation. Like they'll get it. So that's a big one. No. And that's another good point because I think that then carries you on throughout. I mean, we were all well, we are still children of, you know, of people, right. but, you know, of, of being 
teenagers and having going through and maybe our parents possibly wanting this thing for us or this thing for us and us fighting through that. So I think that's a good point because that then helps us carry when they are really truly able to make sound decisions that we have no control over. Right. <laughs> right. We try to do that. And I think that's a good lesson and a good take to have is just surrounding. I mean, in anything in life, but particularly in motherhood, because I think we so bad wanted to go how this person's life looks or how this child is. And we're comparing and social media has heightened our visuals of how Pete, someone's life supposedly looks like that. Right. Put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And I think on our children. For sure. For sure. For sure. You know, to be something that they are not, or they're not ever going to be and not ever going to do and whatever that is, obviously not trying to tie the shoes, but you know what I mean? On a higher, on an other right. different scale. Exactly. Um, so I, I love that. Um, are there any other last words, anything you want to kind of say to the podcast world? Actually, no, before that, what actually I started asking this question and I, I want you to answer and then we'll go into your kind of your, your last words. What advice do you want Felix to always take with him? What wisdom, what advice do you always want him to take with him for the rest of his life? To approach any crossroads or any situation, any challenge from a place of let me go within and let me check in in my heart space. Let me check in in myself. What does my intuition tell me? And I'm, you know, for him to connect to that intuition and, and use that to make the best decision possible. And we just had this conversation today. For the first time, we went to spend a day with some very dear friends of ours because we're still super careful with quarantine and sure. we're, not, we're not out and about. We're very, very careful. So today, for the first time, we dropped him at a friend's house. And, you know, I, I said the same thing to him because we all give him the speech. You know, my husband's with me. And he's like, do the right thing and take every moment as it comes and whatever. And I was like, listen, I know that you're not, I'm not too worried about you because I know that you're not a follower. I know that if you're presented in a situation where if you're with a group of kids and they decide to do the wrong thing, you do the right thing. Because I know that you know what the right thing is. And I know that you have the strength to be able to make that decision and go against the crowd if you need to. And he's like, of course, mom, duh. That's what I always do. I'm not a, I'm not a follower. I'm a leader. Okay. I got this mom. So yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Oh my God. You're having those conversations. You have oh, a girl. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's tough. And that's a whole nother level of parenting, right? Yeah. Because now he's in middle school or no elementary? No, he's in elementary, he's in fourth grade. But he's no, there's a couple more. And I know for me, middle school was a very vulnerable, and I think it's a very pivotal time in children's lives. Middle school is a very very volatile, very roller yes. coaster, hormonally and impressionable. Very you're very I mean, I discovered myself and things I wanted in my 20s, but in that young mind frame, yeah, heavily yeah. influenced for sure. For sure. Yeah, so yeah. I'm sure we'll have many conversations. Oh yeah. <laughs> so now let's go into you know what your last words are to the podcast world. Any advice, anything that you wanna you wanna say? I just wanna say look at what you have, celebrate the now moments, celebrate your moments now, whatever that is for you, find a way to find beauty in them and appreciate them. And as challenging as they might be, whatever you can find every day that you can celebrate, that you can share, that you can find a little bit of joy in hold on to that because there's enough outside that we're fighting against and there's a lot of you know chaos in the world right now with a lot going on on many different levels right now so i'd say find those little moments celebrate them capture them take your own cell phone pictures of them like you know document your days i always say that hashtag document your days because 
things happen and change so fast. Everything changes so fast. And, you know, little moments which seem like inconsequential things often are those little things that, you know, later on we look back and go, oh, you know, that didn't seem like much at the time, but wow, that was the last time that my child did this, or that was the last day that we were able to do this as a family or whatever. So document your days however you can. Love it, love it. Thank you, Martha, so much for coming on um, and doing this for me. I know we've been trying to get this done, but you know, life and everything of busy yes. schedule. So thank you so much. Thank for you. On and for sharing your truth, for sharing your journey and empowering women with Zen Mama love. Thank you so much. Big love to you. Yeah, same. Thank you for listening to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on the platform you're listening on. Tune in next time to hear another fierce mama share her story. Continued blessings to you all for love and light.